So I saw this gap. Of course, that's the way all research starts, I think. You find something that puzzles you, that intrigues you, and you start digging around. Hi, I'm Darren Short, and welcome to the podcast series where I meet an HRD expert to learn about their career and about the person behind the name. Today, I'm chatting with the wonderful Jean Roth, Emeritus Distinguished Teaching Professor, Northern Illinois University in the United States. You can see Jean's bio at allbypodcast.com slash 30 minutes. Jean and I got together for a chat in August of 2022, and we talked about how his early life experiences on a farm influenced his career, how his start in architectural drafting eventually led to a focus on HRD, how he developed his interest in researching and writing on humour, how doing a doctorate resulted in him also learning the harmonica, and much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did when I spent 30 minutes with Gene Roth. Hey there, Gene. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. How about that? The miracles of technology. It's so good to hear your voice again. It's great to hear your voice too. Yeah, this is, uh, this is exciting. It, it really is. It's, um, it feels so long since we spoke last. I hesitate to even guess how many years it's been. And so it's just so good to hear you. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I would guess it was um, back around 2015 or so when you uh, so graciously uh, awarded a service award to me because that was the last conference I attended. I never missed them. And then, uh, and then retirement happened. And how about that? Well, I'm glad we have this chance to chat. All right. Let me know when I need to try to start sounding intelligent. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, at some point in the next hour, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, I, I was trying to figure out where's a good place to start. Maybe the best was to think about listeners who, pay, who are maybe less aware of your role in HRD. So although you're retired now, I wonder if it's worth giving folks a bit of an overview of what your role was before you retired. Well, you know, here's before I get started on this, the, the mental model that I had for this conversation was I was thinking, okay. Darren's on this HRD archaeological dig, and he's, uh, he's, he's dusting off some of these HRD fossils like me, uh, seeing if maybe that he could find a glimmer of wisdom within that nugget. So I envision you with your crocodile Dundee outfit on. And... <laughs> well, the, the bulk of my career of course, was in higher education. And um, over the years, I morphed into a professor who focused on human resource development, you know, in the broad areas of higher ed work, teaching, research, and service. HRD really became my focal point. And as you know, the Academy of Human Resource Development uh, became my professional home. I'd love to hear a bit about how you ended up in HRD. Darren, the way I like to think about my career, it's the, um, the old saying that 
it's it's easy to trace back the steps of your career but when you were younger you could have never projected the where you might end up for me a, a, a rather significant emotional event was when i was a teenager and i moved from michigan down to what had been our grandfather's farm so all of a sudden at the age of 16 i became a farm kid and i found myself driving a tractor from one end of the field to the next and then turning around and going back to the other end of the field. And uh, of course, dreaming about being a rock star. You know, so at, at that time, I was thinking, okay, how the heck can I get back to civilization? So there, there was a kid in our rural high school that was going to go down into a two-year technical program at Southern Illinois University. And I kind of thought he was dumber than a post. So I figured if he could do it, maybe I could do it. <laughs> and so I, I started with uh, technical skills in architectural drafting. And those skills allowed me then to work as a draftsman um, or a drafter in architectural, civil, machine, and structural drawing. Uh, and I learned that um, if I ever went into that field, my buildings would probably be aesthetically pleasing, but they probably wouldn't stand up very long. And so <laughs> I, uh, I tended to move away from that as a career, but those technical skills then helped me uh, work in jobs to get through college and earn my master's degree, teach those skills in high school and in the early part of my higher ed career. So I be, eventually became uh, a trade and industrial teacher educator. And as you know, in, in the United States, a lot of the HRD programs emerged from career and technical ed, teacher education programs. And so the early part of my higher ed career, I was teaching engineering drawing. I was then preparing trade and industrial teachers, and eventually ended up uh, with, with some of those courses then serving HRD practitioners. And um, that's, you know, that's how that evolved. When you go back to the, to the start of that, I can imagine that working on a farm gives you certain experience or, or values or, or, or drive maybe that continues through the rest of your career. When you look back, do you feel like that farming piece influenced the later parts of your career? Oh, it was, um, it was very significant in my life because it's really where I learned just a lot of practical applications of knowledge. I guess more than anything, I learned that there was a lot to learn in the world and it wasn't all going to come out of a textbook. I'll give you a quick story about what I mean by that. So when I was about 16 or 17, and I was typical for that age, thinking I knew more than I really did, my dad was working on the tractor, and uh, he was standing next to the side of it, and he asked me to hit the ignition switch because he uh, wanted to see how it ran. So without thinking too much, which is how I operated back then, I hit the starter switch without climbing on the tractor, and it was in gear. And so it proceeded to, uh, you know, darn near run my dad over, but it also hit the stand that held, held up the 200-gallon barrel of gasoline, and it, it fell out the stand and rolled down and landed in the creek. 
And then the tractor plowed into the garage and knocked, knocked it kittywampus off its foundation. And so all of this happened in about 3.2 seconds before dad was able to shut the tractor down. And so he got off the tractor and he kind of looked down at the ground and then he looked up at the sky and I sensed he was thinking something like, you know, there were 10 billion sperm all trying to fertilize that one egg and, and you had to be the one to win the race. But, you know, he was calm and he just said, okay, let's go try to get that gas barrel out of the creek. So that, you know, that, that was the type of experience on the farm that just helped me a lot, I think, develop some uh, practical knowledge and humbled me a little bit. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. So when you were describing your career, like it, it, it's interesting for me to contrast that a little with other conversations that I've had with, you know, HRD academics and researchers, and it feels as if your your career path was probably closer to, for want of a better term, like blue collar work. Now, if, if that's the case, did you find that this experience gave you a different perspective on HRD? One of the authors in the Rutledge HRD Companion that, that I co-edited with Tanette Rocco and Rob Poole, this author simply stated, if HRD really existed, what would it look like? And I thought that was a great way of having an open mind at looking at it. And, and recognizing that it might mean a little bit something different to, to each person. But let me get back to your question. Um, I started out with that uh, set of technical skills on the drawing board, and those opened opportunities for me. So back then, uh, many of the states required trade and industrial teachers to have a couple of thousand hours of work experience before they could teach it. And so, you know, some of my early jobs were helping those new trade and industrial teachers adapt to the classroom. And, and often times in, in, especially in the Western states, these were people who came right out of business and industry, uh, weren't trained to be teachers, and uh, then, then they found themselves in a classroom. One of my early jobs was traveling the state of South Dakota. I was called an itinerant trade and industrial teacher educator, kind of like a migrant worker, where I would uh, travel around the state and, and help these newbies get started in their teaching career. So I entered HRD with really an emphasis on technical skills training. And then later, when I, when I came to Northern Illinois University, I was very fortunate to join the adult education faculty and team up with uh, my good friend, John Nimi. And, um, and so we were the ones, and then later along with Laurel Jaros, we were the ones at NIU to to get that HRD program off the ground. And when I think back to the times that I would see you at the academy conferences, and um, of which there were many highlights I have to put forward, I think one of the thing, one of the themes that I think of was your interest in humor and its role in HRD. So what was, what was the, the story behind your interest in 
researching and writing about humor? Well, I always had an interest in humor uh, and I used it. Um, I tend to, tended to use it spontaneously, which sometimes can get you in trouble. Um, and I used it in teaching. And I noticed that with my student evaluations each semester, the, uh, the students would, would have positive comments about my use of humor. And I thought to myself, well, this is interesting because on these evaluations, they, the perceptions of me as a professor seem to be shaped quite a bit by my application of humor. And then I thought to myself, you know, these evaluations that are done each semester are important in a professor's uh, tenure and promotion process. But then I thought they're the forms that they use uh, never have any items that pertain to humor, although comments about humor are always in the top 10 topics that students write in on those forms. And then I thought, well, it's interesting that in our teacher education programs, there's never any type of coursework or content on humor and its application other than to say, don't use inappropriate humor, which of course varies from one person's head to the next. So I saw this gap, uh, you know, and that's, of course, that's the way all research starts, I think. You, you find something that puzzles you, that intrigues you, and you start digging around. So from that launch point, I, started digging into the humor literature and theory. Um, I discovered the International Society for Humor Studies. I attended a couple of their conferences. I read all of their back issues of their humor journal. And the fun thing, Darren, was that I saw these interesting connections between the literature and humor and the field of adult education, for example, and adult learning and, and other areas of HRD. So, you know, I didn't start that journey until later in my career, actually. And um, if there's, I guess if there's one message that I can give to the uh, beginning scholars out there is that, um, you know, keep looking for those those intriguing questions, and um, and you can find some exciting shifts in your your research and practice that um, that you might want to might want to pursue. It's interesting to to think about the um, the potential that comes from finding an area of research that um, that you're personally interested in and so there's therefore a lot of motivation to dig in but also like gene you're you're a funny person as well so like um it, it, i would imagine that you're not only researching it from the perspective of wanting to push forward our understanding but presumably you're learning a bit about yourself as you go well most definitely uh one of the things that i did at NIU was I created a graduate level course on humor and adult learning. To me, this is comical because if you know anything about curriculum change at a university, I mean, if you, if you think osmosis is slow, try, try, you know, curricular change. And so um, 
I proposed this course and you, you know, you get the questions like, well, does this fit in with a university's goal and mission? And, you know, I just say, doubt it. <laughs> and, and uh, well, can, can you point us to the direction of another course like this at a university so we can help build a rationale for it? And I said, nope, you know, there's not another one like it in the universe. And Darren, finally, they uh, just reached a point where they said, oh, heck, you know, let him do it, leave him alone. Otherwise, he's going to pester, pester us about it forever. So just, you know, maybe he'll go away and let him teach this course. And so I did. Uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I was not training stand-up comedians. I was focusing on research and theory. Because Darren, just like just like any other field of practice skill, you gain an understanding of how something works through theory, and it helps you with your practice. And so my belief was that regardless of a person's walk of life, if they understood humor theory a little bit more, it would help them uh, with their own application of humor. So with the, with the humor, is that an aspect of Gene Roth that existed both in work and in your personal life? As in, was, it, was, the, was the humorous gene of work the same as the humorous gene at home? Yeah, except, look, I have, I've been, uh, let's see, I, my wife and I started dating in 1970. And uh, so she has listened to my humor <laughs> for probably a few <laughs> decades longer than she needs to. My, my kids, um, <laughs> you know, they, they just look at it as stupid dad jokes. And um, uh, so they're, they're glad to be out of the house also. But now, now I have grandkids that I can start working on. So that's, that's a, <laughs> So it's like this steady line of generations that are new to the jokes. So the other, the, uh, the later, you know, like the initial generations have heard them way too many times, but you, you now have a fresh audience. I do. And they'll, you know, my, I think actually my oldest grandchild is nine and I think she's tired of it already. So, so we'll see. My son is the one who uh, I, I think his uh, sense of humor is aligned with mine a little bit. So we, we still kid around and laugh together quite a bit. By the way, I'll, I, I, I would like to mention something. There's some authors who would say that there's no such thing as a sense of humor. Um, if, uh, let's say, if, if you uh, say that I have a good sense of humor, it probably just means that our our tastes for humor are aligned. Um, so I, I thought that was an interesting notion. Yeah, that, that would that would make sense. Like I've always enjoyed hanging around with you because you were funny. You made me laugh. Um, but I'm sure there were other people who, when they saw you coming down the corridor, dived into one of the rooms that they were adjacent to because they didn't find you as funny. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there weren't any of those people. No, no. They're, yeah. They're, I heard door slammings all the time as I walked. <laughs> <them all. laughs> now, now, way back at the beginning, you talked about being on a tractor going back and forth across the field. 
um, dreaming of being a rock star. So I have to go back. I think you you really left a nice little hook there. I've got to go back to that hook. Did did you did you really want to be a rock star back at that point? Um, I'd fantasize about anything on the tractor, and every once in a while I'd catch myself daydreaming, and I'd turn around and see that the cultivator just wiped out four rows of corn. <laughs> so, yeah. My my dad might have been thinking that he was getting cheap labor, free labor, but um, it, you know it it came at a cost. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't that you played a guitar and saw yourself being a like a rock star. It was just you were trying to think of anything that was like a, maybe a, a a more interesting path than sitting on a tractor. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Typical 16, 17-year-old kid. But I, I will uh I will share another story with you though. When I was when I was working on my doctorate, I was uh actually living in Springfield and driving a couple of days a week down to Carbondale. And I don't know, I think that's about 150 miles one way. And so I was thinking, all right, what what can I possibly do that is productive that that I can use this windshield time? And so I decided to try to develop some musical talent. And um, of course, you can't really like practice the guitar or a piano when you're driving, but I did pick up a harmonica and started playing the harmonica and tooting around on it here and there. And eventually, um, since all of the music in Southern Illinois is country, which lends itself to harmonicas, uh, eventually I got so I could play along a little bit with uh, the radio. Um, and um, I'll never forget when I was uh, able to uh, sit in with some musicians who were jamming and uh, play my harmonica a little bit and they didn't ask me to leave. So that was a, a marvelous feeling. Okay. Now, do you still play now? Um, a little bit here and there, not too much though. It's something I, I need to get back to eventually. So, so if you're not spending your retired years playing harmonica and earning money on the street corner from, from it, what are you spending your retired years doing? Well, a couple of three things other than uh, being a grandpa, and and I, I can even connect this to uh, HRD. So in retirement, it's it's uh, a very interesting transition. And for me, uh, you know, I, I retired full time in 2012, but I continued to teach for a few years, and then I signed a part time contract at NIU to work with uh, some doctoral students and get them graduated, but pretty much cut out doing all professorial stuff a couple of years ago. And when, when you grow up thinking uh, time is money, like I did, um, you, you have to then shift your thinking uh, as to, okay, what, what is time for? And um, I started thinking, okay, what's, what are my important goals? And um, probably the most important one for me at the age of 74 is uh, living a healthy lifestyle. And so I became a big time cyclist 
Um, so last year I rode my bike about 7,500 miles. A couple of weeks ago for the sixth time, I did the great bike ride across Iowa with 18,000 of my new friends. And, and, uh, and also it, it uh, provided me a, a new community of practice, you might say, a new social network. So that's, uh, that's a big part of my life right now. Along with some other, couple of other things, I've been working on an autobiography for several decades and uh, also uh, picked up uh, watercolors that uh, up and up until the early 80s, I'd, I'd become pretty good in watercolors and then we had twins. And so that, that hobby got put aside for about 35 years. So those are the fun things I'm doing. Right. And, and they sound fun. Have, have you have you found that your understanding of HRD influences the way you approach new hobbies like those? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, one of my one of my research areas was learning how to learn. And um, my mentor in that area, Bob Smith, uh, towards the end of his life was uh, very much into the notion of reminiscing and uh, meaning making for older adults. And so, uh, you know, I think about that part of the umbrella concept of learning how to learn. But the other big, you know, big parts of learning how to learn that just fit in all aspects of your life are, are things like uh, self-awareness of yourself as a learner and uh, critical thinking and, and those, those types of things. Now, the other part that I'd like to... Uh, comment on with regard to my watercolors, I saw an interesting um, link between scholarly writing and watercolors. I would tell my doc students that, you know, I can fix a crappy page, but I can't fix a blank page. And so I'd urge them to get something down on paper so I could review it and help them with it. And there's a there's a saying in art that all art is a recovery from the first line. And, um, and, and so as a watercolor artist, uh, when, I, when I first lay that first brush stroke down, I'm either happy with it or I'm not. And if I'm not, that means I've got to really get busy to try to recover from it. And so I, you know, for, for, for me, I saw that interesting comparison between writer's block and getting started uh, and likewise with continuing my, my artwork later in life. I, I love that line. That I, I'd never heard that before, that all art is a recovery from the first line. That's such a wonderful way of, of thinking about it. It really does encourage you to get something down and then see where it takes you. Yep. And, and really, if you think about it, that's the same way with, with writing. I mean, for so many folks, it's hard to get started with it. Um, but I know with my own writing that if I can get ideas floating, uh, flowing on a, on a page, regardless of how crappy it might look, you know, the next day I can look at it and say, oh, yeah, you know, and I can start the, re, the, re, the refinement process then. Well, I'm conscious that we're kind of inching our way towards the end of the conversation. And I saved a question for the end. 
I'm thinking when you get to this point in your in your life or this point in your career that you're able to look back and probably feel like you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And, and some of the folks listening to our conversation here are probably near the start of their careers. So, so I'm wondering, what do you see as the main lessons you've learned that you'd want to share with those folks? Well, um, a few things. Uh, one, like I said earlier, you know, you, it, it's easy for me to trace back the steps that got me to this point, but I, I never would have predicted uh, when I was driving that tractor back and forth across the field that I would end up being a professor with professional friendships around the world. And so in, enjoy the journey, but the other often used phrase is don't blink, you know, because it really does move by quickly. So enjoy it. You know, if, if you're just starting out in your career, um, be patient because there'll be people along the way who might be giving you a hard time and uh, you might have some struggles from that. But, you know, just be patient because odds are those people will go away, they'll retire, they'll get fired, they'll die off. And so, you know, you can wait a lot of these folks out. The other thing is, um, you know, if you're working in an organization, whether it's a corporation or a university, you deal with bureaucracy. So you, you have to remember not to let the administrivia wear you down, it's, especially if you work in higher ed, you have to remember that you're in a position where you can really touch a lot of people's lives and help folks reach their goals. And that's, that's really special. That's a gift. So to help you get through that, what I would suggest is to keep every thank you note, every positive email, thank you cards from students, put them in a file, put them in your desk. And then when your darker moments happen, just pull that out and it'll give you a big lift. And uh, so that would be my suggestion. Well, well, Gene, I, I, it's unfortunate that we've reached the end of our time today, but I wanted to say a massive thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Like I, I've enjoyed the chat and I've learned a lot about you. So thank you so much indeed for your time and for being so open. Well, it's, it's a joy to talk to you again. And, you know, before this started, I was thinking to myself, all right, should I do this? And then I realized that regardless of what I say, Darren is going to make it turn out to be great even if he has to insert about 15 minutes of Three Stooges comedy acts in the middle, but you'll, you'll make it happen, I know. Thank you so much for including me in this project. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's an honor and a, and a joy. Thank you so much, Gene. It's been, it's been delightful. And that was my 30 Minutes with Gene Roth. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with others, subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes, and rate and review the podcast. It all helps to ensure that I can make podcasts 
just like this one. In the next episode, I'm chatting with David Maguire, reader in HRD at Glasgow Caledonian University in Scotland. David and I will be talking about how a debate at an HRD conference led to 20 years of figuring out what HRD is, how professional associations have supported him throughout his career, the important influence of mentors, how he benefits from working on journals, how he first met one of his heroes when driving Route 66, and much more. Until then, stay safe. HRD 30 Minutes With is a production of allbypodcast.com.